Hello and welcome. My name's Mike. You're watching Watch It Baptist Church Online and you're here for, um, even if it's only by accident, part six in our series about discipleship. And it's worth having a look back over the previous five parts to get a sense of what we've already covered and discovered. And I will give you a little quick rundown uh, on what we've covered so far. But first of all, I'm going to read our text and this time round we're looking at Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the NIV and it says this. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Lord Jesus, inspire us. Holy Spirit, be within us, unsettling in us enough that we might be transformed by your teaching and that we might seek to follow Jesus in new ways. Amen. So just a little whistle-stop tour then through what we've covered so far. First of all, we said that discipleship is like a pair of boots for going ready to travel and a disciple does exactly that he chooses to travel or she to go somewhere to set out with Jesus. Secondly discipleship is like clothing and we looked at this in the context of loving the Lord your God with your heart soul strength and mind. Putting on the right clothes for the journey is a deliberate thing and so following Jesus is deliberate too it doesn't happen to us we bring something to it. Thirdly Discipleship is like taking a map with you, a map of Christ-likeness. So as we look about how we might go, we look at being Jesus-like in the way we set out uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Being, being like Jesus is following the map of the way he did things. Fourthly, it's like carrying a rucksack. And that rucksack is a togetherness rucksack. So we take something with us on this pilgrimage that we walk as Jesus' disciples, his apprentices, and what we take is each other, our wonderful and flawed and inspiring and sinful and kind and broken people uh, who are also following Jesus, who encourage us and keep each other accountable. Fifthly, discipleship is like having a camera and binoculars, having clear sight uh, of, what, um, of who God is and what that means to us. And and that is worship that does that. So we have, we have a clearer sight of the one we follow when we worship. Uh, remember that God has walked with us and stays ahead of us. 
so that nothing that he asks us to do he hasn't already covered the ground for. And then here we are at part six. Today I want to talk about how we commit to the journey that other people are making. These verses in Deuteronomy 6 remind us that being the people of God is about a shared commitment. It's a shared commitment to a community of faith. Discipleship is not a lonely or a one-person gig. When we read about God's commandments here in, in Deuteronomy, um, then we're talking about the way God's, um, God sets out a way of life for people, a way of, a way of doing things together and being the community, his community. And these verses make it clear that God's way of life for people isn't just between them and God, it's between us and them and God. It's, there's, there's this kind of triangle and there's three points to it. There's, there's us, there's others and there's, there's God as well. Our relationships with each other should include uh, the Father's um, oversight, the Father's compassion, the Father's uh, love for us and tenderness. And it should include the Holy Spirit too, as we look to be like Jesus. That's the point, I think, at the heart of verses six to nine. Moses is reminding the people of God here, before he starts explaining God's way of life for people, that we are involved in helping each other to live in the way that God calls us to live. Now, we've discussed before how Leviticus particularly shows us um, that God's intention is for us to be engaged with him, sharing his presence and, and, uh, and enjoying his company. That this was almost the whole purpose of humanity as it harks back, and the Leviticus setup harks back very much to the, the creation setup too. And what Moses writes here is that God is saying this journey we make as God's people isn't something we do on our own. It's not just that we gather in order to sing together or to pray, but actually that our walking with God, our, our discipleship, our apprenticeship to Jesus is something that we do together with others. There will be parts of it where we are looking to feed, uh, to be fed ourselves by, um, by what the Bible tells us about what God is like and by the, the conversation we have with God through prayer. But very much at its heart, discipleship is a togetherness thing. We don't do it on our own, we do it as a family. It's part of family life, it's part of community life. And the big advantage to that, or maybe one of the big advantages, is that we don't have to carry all of our own weight, all of our own burdens, all of our own struggles. We get others who will share them with us and we get to help others as they struggle too. It's not just about you, it's not just about me, it's about us and each other. And when I was 12 years old, going back a little way, I had my first experience of a hotel. There were 60 or so year seven children at Old Catton Middle School from Norwich. They would have been about 12 years old, all of them. And we got on a coach and went from Norwich to somewhere near Keswick to this hotel. And I got homesick, but in the end, I had a great time. We were there, I think, four or maybe five nights. I remember climbing cat bells above Derwent Water, and it was very exciting for children who'd grown up in Norfolk, where quite a lot of it is very flat. But when you're 12 and you live in a city and, and then you have to walk and keep walking 
and a lot of it uphill for a long time, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. Boys got a bit grouchy and girls got melodramatic. What made it work in the end was the encouragement of teachers and the sense of being uh, on a journey with friends and peers. Some of us got to know each other a bit better. My classmate, Thomas Wardle, was not my best friend, or even a friend at all, really. He just was somebody in the same class as me. But on that day, we were companions. Shrieking girls ended up being trekking buddies to others. Grumpy boys found strength and perseverance that they didn't know that they had. At the end, we were not a picture of smiley, glowing little house on the prairie, happily ever after, all friends together forever. But neither were we quite the same kids who had started out. We'd learned about ourselves and each other. And some of those friendships, although the changes were subtle, they lasted as long as we were still at the same school. We'd learned about ourselves and we'd learned about each other. Those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus are his disciples, are his apprentices. We are students learning to be like our master. We have chosen to be those students um, and that means that we have also chosen to be alongside the others who are also being students of Jesus, obeying him day by day and choosing to walk with him day by day, to be his person, to live his way. The way Jesus asks us to live is God's way of life for people and, and God designed humanity, so he's very well placed to say how it ought to work. We still have a responsibility to include God in our relationship with each other. If we are to obey Jesus and be his disciples, then our walk will not be a solo walk. And that's better for us and better for others. Now, we've been building up this sense of uh, this pilgrimage and a disciple carrying things. There's a, a, a load of kit, there's boots and clothing and a map and a rucksack and binoculars and a camera. But there isn't a companion, someone to walk with. Deuteronomy 6 again says, talk about what it means to be God's people, followers of Jesus. Talk about it to all the community, children included. Keep all this in mind as you travel. Think about it and discuss it with other people of God. Include this stuff around your home so that whenever you come and go, whenever you meet, wherever you are, you keep God's way of life in mind and in your conversation. And notice that the children are involved in this conversation. They're not simply there to be told or instructed, they're also there to be heard and learned from. So, how do we do this? Well, there's a part one and a part two, I would argue, involved in this. Part one is about knowing that Jesus has called you to be you. He's not called you to pretend to be somebody else. He's called you with all your personality, with all your things that you might think are quirky or other people might think are unusual, with your creativity, your sense of organisation, your passions and desires. He's not called you to be static. He's called you to grow, to develop. Jesus asks us to grow in maturity and compassion, to grow in understanding and wisdom, to grow in patience and confidence in him. But in all these things, he has called you to be yourself, to be you. 
not somebody else, just you. To be the best you, the most Christ-like you, but still to be you. Creator God didn't make you as you and then ask you to bury that. He did not create you to be a duplicate of someone else either. Jesus called Peter to be Peter, not wanting Peter to become more like James or John. Peter was flawed, uh, impetuous, gruff, outspoken, slow on the uptake, but it was still Peter that Jesus called, and it's still Peter he had a particular ministry in mind to do. In the same way, Jesus calls you to be you. So the disciple he wants you to be is a U-shaped disciple. Again, a U-shape that becomes more like Jesus, but still very much U-shaped. Otherwise, we're suggesting somehow that God, when he created you, somehow made an error. What God has called us to is Christ-likeness, so to being like Jesus, the people he created us to be, to become more and more like Jesus. Take a look at Romans 8, 28 to 29 to look at that. So we cannot be static. We've said before that discipleship is not marked by perfection, but by progress. You can have all the answers, in inverted commas, know all the right theology, have read all the right books, but not be actually a disciple of Jesus. Discipleship is marked by progress, and that progress is about allowing the Spirit of God to keep transforming us day by day. It means that daily we come back to Jesus and say, I need your Spirit again because that transformation isn't done yet, and I want to become more like you. If you're you're watching this as somebody who hasn't yet chosen Jesus, but you are on that journey to finding out about him or understanding what he's like, searching for how he might make sense of your life, then you're on the same road as every disciple, every Christian that you might think of around you. We make room, disciples do, in our hearts for the challenge the Spirit will bring, and we make space in our minds and lives to keep being an apprentice. We've not arrived yet. If you are just starting to find out about Jesus, we are just carrying on finding out about Jesus. We're on the same journey. The part one is about understanding that Jesus calls you to be you and grow and learn and develop and mature in your understanding of him and in your own, the formation of your own spirit, your, your sense of self. Part two then is about making disciples, helping others to be apprentices, followers, students of Jesus. In Luke 24, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, although the people in the story didn't know that yet, uh, we see two people walking side by side trying to help each other understand things. I'm just going to read Luke 24, 13 to 15. And that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. As these two disciples who knew all about Jesus journeyed together, they encounter Jesus who helps them in their understanding. Verse 27 of that same chapter, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These two disciples, possibly 
is these days understood, possibly uh, a married couple, were equipped. So we might reasonably assume that they had travelled with Jesus. They weren't just thinking about Jesus, they had gone with Jesus and travelled with him. They had at some point decided to pledge themselves to him. So they, they had given something of their heart, soul, strength and mind to him. They decided to follow Jesus as their rabbi, their teacher. So they were pursuing a Christ-likeness. So they were looking to be like him. They were part of a group, a community of disciples. So there was the togetherness that they experienced too. And worship would come as they came to recognise the reality of the resurrection. But they also, in the middle of all that, needed someone to walk with them. We are disciples on the road together. We are called to make disciples, not just to be disciples. But in making disciples, it is vital that we remember this. Just as God has called me to be me, and a me-shaped disciple, obeying and following Jesus, just as he has called you to be a you-shaped disciple, obeying and following Jesus, he also calls us to help others be their shape as disciples, obeying and following Jesus. To make disciples is to help others grow to be like Jesus as the shape, from the shape they're starting. I am not to insist that other disciples see the world the way I do. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to be us-shaped disciples. I'm going to quote from a, a writer, philosopher, theologian, called James K.A. Smith, and he wrote this. I'm just going to read it off the bit of paper here. Too often, we imagine that the goal of Christian discipleship is to train us to think the right way, to believe the right things. But the ultimate goal of sanctification and discipleship, sanctification is um, becoming like Jesus, the ultimate goal is to shape us into a certain kind of person, one who is like Jesus, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, Check out Galatians 5, 22-23 for that. Loving God and neighbour, caring for the orphan, the widow and the stranger. He has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. These are all just translations of the broader human vocation, which is to bear the image of Christ as renewed image bearers of God. The primary aim of discipleship is to create a certain kind of person who acts in a certain way, not someone who simply thinks a certain way. According to the scriptures, knowing the truth is only instrumental to ultimately doing the truth. So a, a longish bit of uh, quote there. It's from a book called Who's Afraid of Postmodernism? So this, this idea that we've been developing of a discipleship pilgrimage, a journey where different bits of equipment and kit are needed, um, we need to add a new thing. And we need to add ropes and flares. When we make disciples, we are helping them on their journey, not trying to make them into us. This is challenging because it asks us to be humble about what we believe. We help others make their journey, but we don't make it for them and we mustn't try. For us to be able to help others, they need to be teachable. And we are doing this journey of discipleship together, so if others are going to encourage me, I need to be teachable. If others are going to encourage you, you need to be teachable. So not to be teachable is to be hard-hearted. God wants to use others to reach us, but we make ourselves unreachable if we are unteachable. I would add this about that point. 
being unteachable isn't about whether or not you're ready to add information. It's about whether or not you're ready to have your perspective challenged or even changed. Whether you're willing to say, a lot of the people who have taught me are only human. And so I need to be able to hold what they teach me with passion, yes, but also lightly enough that the spirit can still challenge my assumptions. So I'm going to read a little bit from Bill Hull's book, The Complete Book of Discipleship. And it has, this is page 47, personal competencies of disciples. There are five of them. A disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to follow Jesus. There is a willingness to submit to one another as we learn. A disciple learns Jesus' words. We get to know what Jesus says about various things. A disciple learns Jesus' way of ministry. Let's think about how Jesus handled those who were unwell or those who were um, uh, accused of sin, those who were living outside um, good society. A disciple imitates Jesus' life and character. And fifth, a disciple finds and teaches other disciples for Jesus. There is in our being disciples, an absolutely essential element, which is how we um, walk alongside other disciples and make disciples too. I'm also going to quote from Lucy Pepiet. Uh, so she has a book called The Disciple and she writes this. Paul, John, Peter, James and the writers of the Hebrews, all New Testament writers, all constantly exhort the people in their churches to behave towards one another in loving and self-giving ways. We are to forgive one another, submit to one another, to put one another first, to maintain unity, to serve one another and to carry one another's burdens at all costs. The kind of love that disciples should have for one another is tidily described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 in a letter that's addressed, after all, to a church, not to an individual. He says, be protective. Don't tally up how many times you've been hurt. Forgive over and over. Be kind. Celebrate other people's successes and abilities. Show patience. And we know this isn't easy and we will let ourselves down. We will you know, haul ourselves over the coals for the way that we go about things sometimes. We also know it's not easy, um, but in the middle of feeling that we let Jesus down and we let others down, we also need to keep in mind that those around us will need us too. And, and very often the encouragement we bring might not be perfect, but it will be what's needed. We will provide that companionship walking side by side with those who might otherwise not be able to keep going. We can be the reason why other disciples keep growing and keep seeking ways to become more like Jesus, to, to see their spiritual formation continue, their character development continue as they become more like Jesus. God will use us to hold each other fast as disciples and to help each other. If we are willing to bring patience and love and compassion and forgiveness, there is almost no end to how helpful we can be in a community of disciples. So we need the flares and the ropes so that we can show the disciples where we are and we can um, link ourselves together to keep going safely. 
flares to show where we need to be when we get into trouble, and ropes to keep us tied together when we're on dangerous paths. So part of what comes with that is a, is a question. Who can you carry a rope for? Who needs to see the flare that you are carrying? We are called to make disciples. Who are you discipling? It's not who are you converting, because believe it or not, you can't do that. You can't convert anybody and it's not your job. Who are you discipling? Who are you encouraging and talking to and, and teaching and walking with? How are you discipling them? And what help might you need? And who would you go to for that help? So that when you feel like you're not equipped to disciple, you don't just not do it, but instead you find the help that you need so that you can. Now, you may feel underqualified or worried that you're not good enough to help others on the way. The reality is that Jesus calls us to make disciples, and that includes helping each other make this pilgrimage. Probably the worst thing to do is to not try to disciple others because you don't feel equipped. Well, the better thing to do is to set out to do it, get alongside people and be asking Jesus for help. If we want the church to grow, and I mean really grow, to, to become not just numerically bigger, but actually more than we currently are, we need to be the people who help each other along the journey of discipleship. Jesus said, after all, the thing that means that people will know that you are my disciples is the love you have for each other as disciples. Amazing, isn't it? We, don't tend, we tend to think that the testimony that matters is how we love those outside our faith community, but Jesus seems to be saying that the way we treat those who we walk with in churches, that's a big deal. That's how you'll know as disciples. It's not about getting people across the line of conversion and then hoping everything works out. It's not even about hoping other more seasoned disciples can be good role models in the church. And it's certainly not about assuming that the pastor or the deacons or some combination of it will do all the discipling. It's answering the rallying cry. The cry that you hear in Jesus' final instructions. Go and make disciples of all nations. Of all people groups. It's a cry from him to us. It's a, not a cry to make converts. It's a cry to make disciples. And our answer to that call from Jesus has to be about the kind of disciples that we are and about who we are discipling. Who are we walking with? Who are we helping to be a disciple? And how are we helping them? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave us great example and great challenge. And we recognise that there is a right balance to be struck between knowing that we're secure in you and feeling challenged to go and do exciting or adventurous things in your name. Would you help us to find that balance? Would you help us to not be held back by the fear we might have of our own inadequacy? Would you help us to be bold for as long as we do things in your name and with your spirit guiding us? We will bring glory to you. May we be good disciples of others. Amen. Okay, at the end of the session, as usual, we're asking three questions. First question, this time round, is a reflection question. It's really about looking at ourselves 
and being honest about what we're like. We talked earlier about the shape of a disciple. I, I am called to be a me-shaped disciple, a mic-shaped disciple. And I, I can't impose the shape of my um, discipleship on somebody else. There are certain truths that will remain the same no matter who is the disciple. But there are also particular ways of seeing the world that are going to be particular to individuals. So have you ever been tempted to push somebody to be a disciple the way that you are? If you have, or even if you haven't, but you can see what I mean, the follow-up to that is to say, how can I go about encouraging others to follow Jesus as themselves while staying alongside them? Now, this is a tricky thing. I think most of us uh, are always going to be walking a fine line on this one, where we, we're hoping that we can find a way to encourage somebody else without having to make them like us. But perhaps if you're, uh, if you're by yourself, you might write a couple of things down, or if you're in a group, you might have a conversation about um, the ways that we talk to people that sometimes push them into a corner, or, or whether we ever um, tell them they have to think a certain way in order to be a disciple, and, and what alternative ways of communicating we might go for. Okay, question two. In Deuteronomy 6, we see that uh, Moses, when he's calling on the people um, to make the law part of their day-to-day -day lives, talks about discussing it when walking along or sitting and eating uh, and, and to include families in how you talk about it. So I want to ask you, are there ways in which you look to bring what you understand of being a disciple or of the way God sees the world into your conversations with other disciples. When you meet and talk, do you sometimes come away from those conversations thinking, well, we, we never prayed together and we never really talked about our discipleship. We just socialise. If that's something that you think happens with you, please don't beat yourself up about it. Guilt is never a good motivator for anything. So don't give yourself a hard time, but do think about this. How might I build some of that in? How might I... Um, with others, how might we agree to uh, bring God in when we are together? It could be something as simple as saying, whenever we meet, before we start chatting, we'll pray for each other, even if that's only for a moment or two. It could be something a bit more developed. You could say, you know, I, I, when I see somebody else in church, I'm going to talk to them about something that happened um, the last time we were gathered or, or something from my own Bible reading. It is absolutely okay and actually very much encouraged to bring your spiritual experience into your day-to-day -day conversation. This is a big part of what Deuteronomy 6 is about. So just to recap, the question is this, what can you do to bring that kind of day-to-day -day experience of your spiritual life into the way you talk with other disciples, including children? Let's not assume that this is just for grown-ups. So question three. We looked earlier on at a quote from James Smith, the um, philosopher theologian, and he talked about how uh, the, the aim of discipleship is not to get people to think a certain way, but to be a certain kind of person. If you're going to grow as a disciple, to mature spiritually, what is it that you want to do? If, if I said to you, in six months' time, 
Um, it would be great if you could look back and say, well, I, I've done that. I, I've moved on in this way or, or my understanding of or my, my way of living is different um, in this way, whether it's to do with how you talk or um, how you shop ethically or um, how you include people or you know, whatever it might be or how you pray. To set yourself a little target and say, in six months' time, I'd, I'd like to be able to look back and see that I've progressed. What would be your first thing to go for? What's the first thing you would want to work on in that way? And, and would you be willing to tell somebody so that they can ask you how you're progressing in that? So that we make our growth deliberate and about the kind of people we are, not just about how much knowledge that we have. Okay, those are the three questions for this session. Do take care. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, and next session will be session seven. Take care.